0: Welcome to the Her God Speaks podcast special Tuesday feature called Hermeneutics Tuesdays. Yes, that's Tuesdays with an H, where we are seeking to become better interpreters of the Bible, one 10 minute episode at a time. I'm your host, April Spears. Let's learn stuff together. Welcome back to another Hermeneutics Tuesday, where we talk all about Bible interpretation, how to properly answer the question, what does this passage mean? Today, I want to talk about context. Now, I have a feeling that most of you watching this are context queens. Like it was drilled into you ever since you knew what a Bible was. That context is Everything. I remember I had a pastor growing up that would say over and over and over, context is king. Context is king. So you already know, probably, maybe not, but if if you grew up in a, you know, a solid Bible teaching, Bible believing church, you, you probably already know that you should never read a Bible verse in isolation right? You should always read the whole chapter it's in. Um, You should always have a firm grasp on the message of the book of the Bible it's in, right? We don't want to take verses out of context. Um, You probably also know that determining the literary genre, like the type of literature a passage is written in, whether it is apocalyptic, is it historical narrative, is it an epistle? Um, Understanding what what you're actually looking at is also really important. So is grammar, sentence structure, word meanings. All of that is crucial for determining what a passage means. Now, everything I have just mentioned is part of determining the literary context of a passage. And for most of my life, the literary context is the only thing I have ever heard anyone talk about. Now, there's always a brief mention of who's the author of a passage, who is it written to, um, maybe we'll spend a couple minutes looking at a map to kind of get, get your mind around what part of the world that particular um, passage was, was written to or whatever, but aside from that brief mention and some introductory comments, literary context rules the day. It's really all I ever learned to do. Quick side note, I want to be very clear. I am really, really thankful for what I was taught about literary context. I don't want to imply anything, um, anything else. All right, so very thankful. Literary context, yay, super important. All right, moving on. We already established in our first few segments of Hermeneutics Tuesday that before we can answer the question, what does this passage mean for us? We first have to do the work of answering the question, what did this passage mean for them? What did this passage mean for the original audience? And listen, literary context, as important as it is, is not enough to answer that question. It's just not You can do an in-depth word study of every single word in a passage. You can diagram every sentence. You can outline the flow of thought. You can do all the literary context things and still miss the intended meaning of the passage. Think back to a few episodes ago when I talked about nobody puts baby in a corner, right? I mean, you can do all the literary context things with that statement, but if you don't understand the historical cultural reference that it's from a movie from the late 1980s in America. You know, if you don't understand all of that, I mean, you can know what all of those words mean. You won't have a clue what is intended by that statement. So literary context is essential. Don't hear me say anything else. It is so essential, so important, but Literary context without deep regard for historical and cultural context really can give you a false sense of understanding what a passage means when in reality you're not being a very good tourist of scripture. This happens all the time. Somebody knows the Greek meaning of every word of a verse, and so they assume they know what that verse is communicating to God's people. Not so. More has to be done to understand um, what a verse is actually communicating. We've got to respect the cross-cultural, historical nature of biblical studies. And like I mentioned last time, we, we have all these fancy Bibles. They're super modern looking. They're really beautiful. They even have modern fonts, and some of them are laid out like a magazine. And of course, they're in modern English translations, and it gives us this sense that the Bible was just written but it wasn't just written. It's an ancient book that was written in a very different part of the world. So biblical studies is always, 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 100% of the time, a cross-cultural experience. And here's what I want to drive home in this episode. This is so important. Because we aren't the original audience, we cannot assume that our plain reading of the text is the same as the original audience's plain reading of the text. So what a passage means for us when we take it at face value may not be what it meant for them when they took it at face value. I think the very best example of this is Genesis 1. I mentioned it last time. It's worth mentioning again. It's a passage most of us are probably familiar with a lot of effort, like a lot, a lot has been spent reconciling Genesis 1 with modern science. Here's the thing, said this last time, modern science didn't exist when Genesis 1 was written. Because God has chosen to use real human authors living in real pre-enlightenment ancient cultures to write scripture, any effort to find modern science in Genesis 1 is going to be fraught with difficulty and error, even if if you are a literary context rock star and you crack the code on the beautiful poetic design of the passage and you know the Hebrew meaning of every single word. If you're still reading it, through modern Western eyes, looking for modern scientific stuff, you're going to get the interpretation wrong. And if you get the interpretation wrong, you're going to get the application wrong. That's why interpretation is so, so important. Now what most people who sit in great Bible teaching churches every Sunday have never heard is that Genesis 1 is a temple text. And the reason they've never heard this is because you have to do some comparative studies to understand this. You have to know uh, about the historical, cultural context of the passage. Now, I just learned this a couple of years ago. It is still rocking my world, blowing my mind. I learned this from a Bible scholar named John Walton in his book, The Lost World of Genesis 1. I want to read you an excerpt from this book, um, and I've posted a link to the book in the show notes. If you're interested in getting a copy, you really should get a copy. This book, probably one of the most formative books for me in terms of understanding the big picture, the big story of the Bible. It, it's, oh, it's just so, so foundational. Anyway, here's the excerpt. I'm quoting John Walton here. In the traditional view that Genesis 1 is an account of material origins... Day 7 is mystifying. It appears to be nothing more than an afterthought with theological concerns about Israelites observing the Sabbath, an appendix, a postscript, a tack-on. In contrast, a reader from the ancient world would know immediately what was going on and recognize the role of Day 7. Without hesitation, the ancient reader would conclude that this is a temple text and that day seven is actually the most important of the seven days in a material account day seven would have little role but in the functional account as we will see it is the true climax without which nothing else would make any sense or have any meaning now how could reactions be so different the difference is Is the piece of information that everyone knew in the ancient world and to which most modern readers are totally oblivious? Here's the information Deity rests in a temple and only in a temple. This is what temples were built for. We might even say that this is what a temple is a place for divine rest. Perhaps even more significant, in some texts, the construction of a temple is associated with cosmic creation. End quote. Now, I wish I could read more to you. I'm trying to keep these episodes fairly short. Um, oh, so, so good. And again, what he keeps saying is what the ancient reader would have known what went without saying for the ancient reader, right? I mean, over and over again, um, you see that phrase in his description of what's going on in Genesis chapter one. Now, what the ancient reader would have known, what went without saying for the ancient reader, it's completely lost on us because we're not an ancient reader. We are people living in America or Scotland or New Zealand or wherever. We have listeners from several different countries that tune in, um, but we're living in, 2023 right now how does john walton know that stuff how does he know what the ancient reader would have thought well he's devoted a huge chunk of his career we're talking decades to studying the other ancient near eastern creation narratives of israel's neighbors which by the way uh up until i think like maybe a hundred years ago were buried under the sands of the Middle East. (laughs) It's so incredible that we have them now. Um, Anyway, he has treated the Bible as a cross-cultural experience, and he has taken the context very, very seriously. Now, I'm not a historian. Chances are you're not a historian, right? Like, we are not experts in ancient Near Eastern cultures. So here's my tip for you today. We need to find the scholars who are. We need to find scholars who are experts in this stuff, and we need to read what they are writing. We need to learn from them. We need to find scholars writing books and commentaries who take the cross-cultural historical nature of biblical studies really, really seriously. Now, I know you're thinking, um, like, who in the heck are these people? Well, let me give you a few of my favorites. I'll also list these in the show notes so don't feel like you have to, you know, write them all down. Some of my favorites for Old Testament studies are John Walton, who I already mentioned. Uh, Michael Heiser is just another one of my absolute favorite Old Testament scholars. One thing he says all the time is that in order to be good students of the Bible, whether you're reading the Old Testament or the New Testament, we have to learn how to think like an ancient. Israelite, which is such valuable advice and goes right along with um, what we've been talking about. Another Old Testament, great Old Testament scholar is Tremper Longman, um, Gordon Winham, and of course, Tim Mackey with the Bible Project does a phenomenal job um, at uh, incorporating the historical and cultural context. In fact, I probably learned more about this from Tim Mackey than any other Bible scholar out there. Uh for New Testament studies, some of my go-to scholars are N. T. Wright, which sadly for a huge chunk of my life I was led to believe was like a liberal theologian, which is just so, so false. Um, finally decided, got the courage to pick up a book and read it for myself. And lo and behold, it's like really he's just such a phenomenal scholar um, who who takes um, very good care with with historical and cultural context. Michael Byrd is another one of my favorites. Craig Keener, Douglas Moo, uh, Scott McKnight does a lot of work um, in the area of the Christian gospel and how we can communicate that in a way that's truer to the um, cultural historical context from which it comes. Um, also, uh, Tom Schreiner, another great scholar. So there's a whole bunch more, um, but. Those are my favorites. It's a good place to start. Uh, I would say that any commentary that exclusively focuses on literary context with only a slight nod in the introduction to the historical context is sorely lacking, in my opinion, because it's missing a really crucial component of sound biblical hermeneutics. And listen, don't ever let anyone make you feel badly for relying on good commentaries. How in the heck else are we supposed to know the cultural and historical background of the Bible? We are not Hebrew scholars. We are not historians. It really creams my corn when pastors and Bible teachers imply that the Holy Spirit is all we need to understand the Bible. Yeah, good luck with that. (laughs) That is just not true. Have you read this book ever? Um, Goodness gracious. All right. Well, I'm getting a little snarky, I think. So I should probably stop for today. Um, That is another episode of Hermeneutics Tuesday. Um, We will develop this a little further in the next one. Thanks so much for hanging with me. Bye, guys.